The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the podcast. And oh boy, what a day to be podding. Liverpool nil, Fulham one. A famous win at Anfield for the mighty Whites. As Jurgen Klopp's side lose six in a row at home, they were no match for Scotty Parker's awesome, awesome team. What a day. Absolutely delighted to be on the pod. I'm always delighted to be on the pod, but it's extra special on days like this. And joining me today is Mr. Don Betts. Hello, hello. First question, what were you happier about? Glasgow Rangers winning the league or Fulham beating Liverpool? <laughs> no, it was Fulham beating Liverpool because I wanted to win it at, at Parkhead in two weeks' time. I wanted Morelos' first old firm goal to be the one that won Rangers the league. But yeah, I think that result at Dundee United at Tannadice just sums up uh, this Scottish Premiership this season. But no, what a win. Um, I was I was at work and I was and my colleague, I had a couple of colleagues who were Liverpool fans, so, so their heads were completely leaving the 17th floor in London Bridge and flying way out into the Thames. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> in Adam for Carson hello good good evening Sammy uh what are we drinking tonight Adam uh yeah I've had uh, quite a few lemonades today uh might have slipped a gin in one or two fantastic and Jack Kelly how you doing oh I am on top of the world uh, you were supposed to be on the pod last week but you had to bow out because you had the jab if you are asked to get the jab, get the jab. And that's what mm. you did. And uh, you were feeling a bit um, under the weather from some of the side effects last week. So are you fighting fit today? Oh, I'm I'm absolutely fine. I've just had a, a nice roast pork and uh, we're, we're raring to oh, go to talk, to, talk about the, uh, to talk about the actual Fulham. Fair enough. What a decadent lifestyle you lead, Jack Kelly. <laughs> um, right, Adam, what were the three word reviews? I imagine this is going to be fun. I'm surprised that no one went with Kelly's rose pork now. But, um, <laughs> I'll kick off with uh, our very own Drew Heatley's Lamina's Liverpool Limbs. Brilliant. We've got Cormat with Win and Tonic. Owen, oh. Co- <laughs> it's good, isn't it? And then we've got Owen Conway with Masters of Merseyside. Merseyside, sorry. And then Jozo, who obviously did those uh, amazing prints for the Fulhamish shop as well with We Still Believe fantastic stuff thank you so much for your three word reviews i think fulham twitter didn't know what to do with itself at full time people didn't know if to tweet drink celebrate run around the block uh, it was just one of those amazing amazing days and look i know that like winning at anfield maybe isn't what it would have been two months ago considering the run they've been on but dom it's a massive illustration of how far Fulham have come. You can look at how bad Liverpool are and no doubt that's what all the papers match of the day will be focusing on tonight and tomorrow. But let's focus on the fact that Fulham were exceptional today to a man. We took our chance when it came through Lamina. We were dangerous in attack, maybe not as lethal as we could have been, but let's gloss over that. And in defence, just just stunning really. And, and I genuinely think that this is one of the best defences in the league right now. Yeah, I don't remember going into a game away at Liverpool feeling so confident. But as soon as I heard the news that seven changes were being made to the starting eleven ahead of their uh, Champions League second leg against RB Leipzig on, I think, Wednesday, um, I was confident that we could get a result. I think if we were going to win this game, it was only going to be a 1-0. I feel like that that was a scoreline that was going to be. And it was interesting to see obviously, where that goal would come from. But in that first half, obviously, Liverpool had a decent opening in the first few minutes. But as soon as we sort of got, got ourselves into the game, in that first half especially, we were the dominant team. You know, we were creating chances. You know, Nico Williams had an absolute mare down on, the, on the right-hand side. Whether it was Lutman, Cavalero, Bobby Reid, he was just getting rinsed every single time. It was like... He was getting offered no support by the uh, pl- the players ahead of him. I think that's what happens when they play sort of a front three as opposed into a, a four a four two three one. But you know, one one nil up at half time flat Liverpool. Really, I mean, we we could have been two or three nil up uh, at the break. The, the only big chance for Liverpool that I really remember was probably the Jan Shakiri free kick in the first half, which sailed just over Ariola's left hand left hand post. And you know, there was the dive. There was a dive from Mo Salah, which you know, for me, it's another whole story. But those things just seem to go unpunished. But then you know, the goal reminded me so much of Bobby Reid's goal 
um, at home against against Liverpool because you know Salah makes a complete mistake. It falls him um, inside the box on the right hand side and smashes it into the left hand corner. And yeah, what a finish from Mario Lamina! Great for him to get on the score sheet after that ridiculous handball decision against Tottenham on on Thursday evening. So yeah, what what performance in that first half? And then going to the second half, we obviously knew that it'd be a different game. It would be you know Liverpool putting us under the cosh. But apart from I think it was the volley from Diego Hotter, which um, Ariola tipped over absolutely brilliantly over the bar apart from that they didn't have many clear-cut chances and I don't remember the last time I've been confident in a Fulham defence it's got to be under under Roy Hodgson because even under Mark Hughes and Martin Yolf in in when in their sort in the better years under Martin Yolf anyway I wouldn't say we had a phenomenal defence really Um, I know we said I'd hang in Hughes but this is probably the I'd say this is probably the, the Fulham team that Fulham fans have been most behind in the Premier League since Roy Hodgson Oh, a hundred percent. I think it's the most I've enjoyed a Fulham team, I think, since Roy Hodgson, Adam. And that is just such a credit to Parker. He's put us back on the map. He has put us back on the map. He's got Fulham fans enjoying watching Fulham again. And look, we've had some good years as well in that time. Look, who would forget the Slavisa Jukanovic championship side? But Slavisa never proved himself in the Premier League. Scott Parker is making me enjoy Fulham in the Prem. And that hasn't happened probably since that first Mark Hughes season. And that's less about Mark Hughes and more the kind of dynasty that, that Hodgson left. What a, what a man Parker is. He's, there was that debate earlier in the season is where, is he a better coach than Lampard? Like, are we joking? Well, I mean, it's pretty clear that he is as well, but it's, it's, I agree with what you're saying in the fact that it's the most I felt confident in a Fulham team as well. I mean, I think confidence is a, a big part of it. We definitely did enjoy Slavisa's entertainers, the fact that we could always look at trying to outscore the opposition. Um, but when you're actually going into a game against some of the biggest teams in the world, the best teams in the world technically, and we're showing that we can more than hold our own, I think that's a new level of Fulham in the fact that we're putting in some form that would actually see us in the top 10 if we had done it all season. Um, we're pulling out at the time that matters and I've got full confidence in this team that, you know, when Don was mentioning, you know, it's the first time in a very long time that I've looked at, you know, having to defend a 1-0 lead and thought, I think we can do this. A lot of people were questioning, you know, us sitting back at 65, 70 minutes and, you know, I can agree with a lot of that. I think we needed an out ball a little bit more than we had. But other than that, I I didn't feel worried looking at our defence. I, I felt confident that everybody was going to be putting in their all to actually defend that lead so yeah I'm loving watching Fulham at the moment uh, Jack you're a very emotional man when it comes to watching Fulham just sum up your feelings uh, full time because I tell you what the world has been deprived of a fan cam tonight could you just imagine if you'd have been in that away and Jack Kelly I, I don't think you'd have left Liverpool I think that would have been it for you <laughs> I think I'd be in hospital I'm not, not gonna lie on a hospital bed but um, I tell you what uh, it, it was such a marathon of a game it was it's one of those games where you think 90 minutes is really a long time, isn't it? But um, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought I thought the, the second 45 epitomised basically the, the spirit that Scott Parker's instilled in us all season. Uh, and yeah, when the full-time whistle went, just sheer relief, joy, and just just pr- just pride, like honestly. And, and this has been coming. I, I wasn't really shocked by the fact that we went to Liverpool and won. Not because of Liverpool's form, but because of the way we play. And... Um, it's just remarkable how uh, Scott Parker's taken us from, I remember Villa at home, how awful that was. And now look at us. Yes, we're level on points. We're still in the relegation zone, but what a platform to build on. We have to, uh, we have to stay up. It, it's so important for the future of the club. But you remember, you, you talk about Aston Villa at home and yeah, that was a bad day. It's only just over a year when Barnsley came to Craven Cottage mm. and put three past us. It's under a year when we went to Elland Road and got us a, a, like got handed a new one. Was- How far he has built this team in that the space of time. It's only a year today since that Bristol City match at Ashton Gate. And you look at that lineup and only two of that lineup now regularly get in the starting eleven. Like, there's so much has changed in a year and look it's not been a good year but actually the what maybe one positive from the last 12 months is how well Scott Parker has done in that time I mean it's mad to think how much has changed in 365 days since we last attended a football game Jack yeah I mean I 
I remember that game against Bristol City and I thought we probably deserved the win. We should have had a penalty in the 90th minute, but of course that's not even important now. But you saying that has just brought back flashbacks of, I was standing in my friend's garden after watching us lose the 3-0 to Leeds United and doing a fan cam, which uh, was me just ranting about how I don't think Parker's up to the challenge. And, and then he proved us wrong in the playoffs. He pulled out this remarkable performances against Cardiff, remarkable performances against Brentford. And and over the course of this season, we've played so well against the big teams. You know, we should have possibly got something out of Chelsea if we didn't get down to 10 men. Could have drawn with um, with Manchester United. We should have got the point the other night uh, against Spurs. And, and this, like I just said, doesn't surprise me. It was coming. And I just think it. we've just had a fantastic turnaround. And that is pretty much down to a lot of people but but uh, most importantly, Ariola, Adrabio, and, and Anderson. Yeah, um, you, you mentioned the performances as well, Jack. I I, I agree. Farrell said it earlier on Full Time Live. There's only one game since Man City away where he said he felt like Fulham deserved to lose. And that was the Brighton away game at the Amex, where Brighton were better than us, and we actually could have won it late through Loftus-Cheek. Um, Dom... Let's let's go into the game. And I was a little bit concerned before Lamina's goal at how many chances Fulham had created. We hadn't put any of them away. And Liverpool did look reasonably dangerous sometimes when they got into their final third. And of course they would. They've got Salah, Shakiri, and Jota up front. I was a bit concerned at some points that it was going to be one of those days where we talk about how Fulham were really good in the first half, but ultimately Liverpool came out with a 2-0 win. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I was saying, oh, it's one of those days where we can end up losing the game. But I did feel that we need, if we were going to score, it needed to be in that first half. Like, I was confident that, you know, if it was nil at halftime, I'd still be confident we could grind out a draw uh, in the game. I just didn't think Liverpool were offering too much. But it's just, it's absolutely remarkable that Fulham Football Club have won away in Merseyside twice in a season. Mm. Like, and that, you weren't that, there to see either of them. I know exactly. I mean, this is only this is probably what only our second win at Anfield in in my lifetime. Um, the one Wait, it wasn't was actually the, that long. Yeah, it wasn't that long since was, the last one. Scored a lone goal from a, was it the Kakanicklich or Risa Cross? Um, yeah. I think I feel like it was a mid, I feel like it was a midweek night. That's why I, I couldn't go to that game. But yeah, as I said, two away wins in Merseyside, and you know if you look at our away victories this season, Leicester, Everton, and Liverpool. Um, <laughs> like, wow. What like abs- absolutely crazy? You know our record at Leicester isn't amazing. You know, we, we, two seasons ago we obviously lost there. There was the cup game in thirteen fourteen. Um, there were, I remember the FA Cup when uh, Montella made his debut when they were in the division below us and we drew. And it's but it, as I say, it's just it's just great to see a Fulham team that all the fans are are behind because. I don't know whether games beyond closed doors has got something to do with that. But if you think about even under Slavisa Jakanovic, even under you know Scott Parker, there has been divisions within the Fulham fan base about um, people talking about the manager, um, people talking about different situations behind the scenes. It's the first time in a very, very long time, probably as we mentioned from, for a lot of things since the Hodgson days, that it seems that all Fulham fans are united in their support of the team and in their support of the manager. And I think, you know, today, game plan wise, Scotty got it spot on. Um, and, you know, I felt, I thought I was, it was, it felt so weird just going into a game, not just away at a, at a big team like Liverpool, you know, the champions, but away to Anfield where we never really get a result. And just sort of being quite confident that we could at least get a draw out of the game. Yeah, I I was so confident before this game, Adam. I almost had to sometimes tell myself off thinking it is still Liverpool. They've still got really good players. You can't be this confident going into a game at Anfield. That's just not right, Sammy. Do not do this. Um, but we, we were proven right. Um just want to talk about Mario Lamina obviously his first goal for Fulham today and he took it fantastically but his all-round performance on the pitch was exceptional again um him and Harrison Reed um Jamie Carragher kept calling them terriers um on the commentary we'll come back to Carragher in a minute um Mm. but I just think Mario Lamina has really stepped up and look we had we've had a couple of questions asking does Anguissa what's the future for Anguissa because it's really difficult for him to get in the team at the moment. And who on earth would have thought we'd have said that at the beginning of the season? I remember when uh, at, 
back to the very start of the season when we were saying, um, you know, how is Lamina even going to get into this team? Why have we signed him on loan? I can't see him getting in the team anywhere near. You know, we were actually saying Kearney and Anguissa at that point in time. Midfields do change. And I, I think that one thing we've said a lot of is that Reed and Lamina are very similar players. And, you know, Carragher referred to them in the same way today. But whilst they are similar that's actually not a problem for us right now because it means that one can fill in in the job when the other one is, you know, um, moving forward a little bit more. So I've definitely noticed with Lamina, his link-up play has been probably the bit that stood out for me in the fact that he doesn't just sit deep. He is actually working his way through the thirds and Harrison Reed's always filling in behind or vice versa. But it's nice to look at today's performance and not think uh, Lamina's the man of the match because he scored a goal. He's man of the match because of his all-round play, because of the fact he was consistently breaking up Liverpool's attacks. He was getting us on the front foot and he managed to take advantage of it with a goal. The goal was just an added bonus on top of what was an amazing performance. On the point of uh, Anguissa, he is a Rolls-Royce of a player. He is incredible for us and I do hope that he has a way of getting into this team. I wonder if it's part of a, a three-man midfield at some point in time. I still don't think we've got the balance right when it comes to the final third just yet. And I wonder whether there's a way of fitting Anguissa into that as part of a three-man midfield. But at the minute, I couldn't think about dropping either Reed or Lamina. Well, Jack on uh, Friday's podcast did say that actually for this game, he would have started Reed, Lamina and Anguissa. Uh, Jack, uh, Decatover Reed got the nod today ahead of Loftus-Cheek. Didn't play in the same kind of role as, as Loftus-Cheek. What did you make tactically of that switch from Scott? Well, well, I liked it because obviously it works against Liverpool at home in terms of where we go into a back five out of possession. Of course, Bobby decoyed over Reed can do that really well, slotting in at right wing back. <laughs> and I think that, I think that he's, I don't think he was like, I didn't notice him as much on the pitch as everyone else today, but I think he just did a stellar job at, at what he needed to do. And actually, when we broke forward, he was not really involved in the attacks. What, what I was really impressed with was leaving Loftus-Cheek on the bench because of basically foreseeing a situation where we might have the lead. And when we're on the counter-attack, he's so strong at running through the middle, even Anguissa as well, but Loftus-Cheek especially, that there's going to be space to run into on the counter-attack and alleviate some of that pressure but in terms of Bobby decoyed over Reed I thought he was uh I, I didn't he didn't stand out to me but he did a job in that five back and you know to a man I thought all 11 were fantastic today and uh we've got to give Bobby decoyed over Reed some uh, some praise you're loving still saying Bobby decoyed over Reed, yeah, aren't you? We had a few tweets after you. <laughs> we had a few tweets after you first said it on the podcast, and it really annoyed a few people because they now <laughs> can't hear anything else either. So you, you're living in their head rent free, Jack. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I know you live in many heads rent free. I know you're very used to it by now, um, Dom. The second half was an expected wave from Liverpool. I guess that's one thing about when you score just before half time and, you know, it's a big goal like that. We were always going to face a bit of a siege from Liverpool. I was weirdly confident throughout the whole thing, but there obviously was some quite last ditch defending. Anderson has taken a lot of the plaudits today, particularly that clearance that he made in, in stoppage time to, it was from Robertson's cross on the left-hand side. It was going straight towards Sadio Mane and he just stuck a leg out here at the last second from nowhere. Uh, there's so many plaudits about our defence at the moment. I thought Adarabayo was great today and then like, who can forget Ina and Tete as well, but particularly those two in the middle of, of Anderson and Adarabayo. Like, they're just sensational. And we had a question here from Nick Patience saying, surely this is the best defence we've ever had. Better than even Hankel and Hughes, Schwartz, a conch and Pantzel, which often had weaknesses in the fullback or even the Pete Coleman team or even Tagana's team that brought us up. It's massive praise and it feels kind of foolish to say it, but I don't remember a centre-back pairing like this. These two are iconic. Yeah, and I think what's so good about this defence is it's when you, if you speak when you speak about the sort of Hodgson unit of Schwarzer, Hanglin, Hughes, Pantsel, and Koncheski, I still feel like this as a defensive unit is probably better. But I would still say Schwarzer, Hanglin, and Hughes as a three, as a partnership, you you still got you still got to hold them in higher regard for me. 
than these three because you know they got it to seventh, they got to Europa League final. But you can see the likes if we if we can keep Ariola and Anderson. Obviously, we already own uh, Tosin. That they have the potential to reach those levels and potentially even higher. Who, who in regard to ability, maybe not in regard to the success they achieve, but I, yeah, it was there. It's but it's since. It's since the 2010 season that we haven't ha- we've had a defence like this because you know under Hughes and under Hughes and Yo with Hughes and uh, and when it came to Aaron Hughes and Brad Hangland and Schwarzer, it wasn't quite the same as it was under Hudson. But I think what I think what it, what it is showing is that how defence how why defence is so important because you know if you can keep the clean sheet then you, you always have a chance of grabbing that goal. Whereas if you're always trying to outscore the opposition, that's that's not really going to work. I mean, when you know how many teams who do stay up are the teams who, you know, outscore the opposition. I know Aston Villa's defence last season wasn't what it was this season, but they still had a, a, their defence was still, still had good players in it with the likes of Esri Konsa and Tyrone Mings. And I think that is so vital. And I think more teams need to look at that. I mean, if you look at any team, Who's won any title or any tro- or any major big major trophies? You know, it, you look at their defense. You know, if you look at just look at Premier League winners, everyone has got that leader at the back. You know, you go back to uh, the the Arsenal invincible teams. You have the, you had the likes of Tony, Tony Adams when they also when they won a double in the in the turn, turn of the century. You know, you look at Chelsea there, John Terry. You look at uh, Man United there, Vidic and Ferdinand. You know, you, you look at. You know, that Liverpool team uh, last season, had Virgil van Dijk, Manchester City, Vincent Company, you know, the great Pep Guardiola team at Barcelona, you had um, Puyol and Piquet. Like, all these teams, although they may have great forward players, but you need such a solid defence to get anywhere in football. And I think that's why we're seeing this team having such a strong chance staying up this season, because it's really how important that defensive aspect of the team is. Yeah. I mean, I think you are right, though, to rein it in a little bit on the the plaudits to Schwarzer, Hanglins and Hughes, because as much as I'm admiring what Anderson, Adrobio and Ariola are doing at the moment, as you say, Schwarzer, Hanglin and Hughes achieves real success for us. Seventh in the league, Europa League final. Like it's very easy to have almost kind of a bit of like recent, a recent bias on this because we're seeing these performances and because almost we're performing the underdog story at the moment. But I think that if they're truly to be compared to those three, then it can't just be staying up. However, I see the potential for them emulating those three and that's, that's massive praise in itself. And that's not denying what they've done already. They are fantastic, but I think we have to be careful when saying these are guys are better than Schwartz or Hangland and Hughes because they haven't achieved anywhere near the success that, that those three did. Um, just before we take a break, your final thoughts from the game and where we go from here, really. We're level on points now with Brighton. Obviously, they've got a slightly better goal difference than us. Newcastle got a point today against West Brom, which is a terrible result for them. Absolutely terrible. But actually, I thought the best result for us. I know a lot of people wanted a West Brom win. I mean, they were lucky that that Newcastle got a point in that game. The 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 chances that West Brom had, but yeah, I said a point is great because I feel like the West Brom game, there would have been so if they if they if they had won the baggies. I mean, there would have been so much pressure on us to get something in that in that in that uh, Liverpool game. So yeah, as, as you, you, I do think it was it, a point in that game was actually probably quite good, and I think a nil nil especially as well with neither team sort of getting on the score sheet. But to be fair, yeah. actually, I thought actually, for a nil nil, it was actually quite an entertaining game. Yeah, it wasn't a bad one, was it? I mean, Adam, what are your just general thoughts on the relegation battle now? Eleven games to go. Can I mean we? I mean, I mean, it's not can we do it? It's we're doing it right. This is happening. Yeah, we, I mean, we are doing it right now. It's just the case that you know, you look at today's result. You can look at it from two angles. You can look at it all uh, against other people and all the versus points and saying you know Newcastle got their point today and Fulham got three. But it's all about how many we continue to pick up and what we have is the momentum. Uh, all the players are mentioning it uh, after the game. We do have that momentum and the mentality to be able to keep this going. Today's uh, three points were slightly unexpected. You know. If you had looked at this run, we definitely wouldn't have been expecting probably the three points to come today necessarily. But if you start to look towards now, we have to average about a point a game and get some wins here and there. This is where that solid defence and 
Scott Parker's mentality of keep what we have sometimes in games is going to come to the forefront. Um, you know, it's a dreadful result for Newcastle. There will be some more dreadful results to come for some of the other teams around us, hopefully. Um, and even when if Fulham do uh, miss a few points, I'm confident that we'll be able to pick up enough draws and wins along the rest of the season with this team playing how they are. It doesn't seem to matter as much who the opponents are. It's more about it is in our control slightly. Yeah. And just before the break, Jack Kelly, are we staying up? You'd love to think so. I mean, based on what I've seen today. Oh, come on, Jack. Come on. You're the most positive guy I know. No, I am. I am. No, I am. I think think we will. I just wanted you to go, we are staying up. (laughs) No, I, 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 I think we will stay up. But that is based on the fact that we play with such confidence and and we go to places like Liverpool with no fear. So um, I think we've got something else that Newcastle don't have, that West Brom do not have, that Sheffield United definitely don't have. And look, if Brighton, as long as Brighton keep not scoring goals and losing games, um, look, we're on the same points to them. We should be 16th, given what happened on Thursday night. So, uh, Sammy, to answer your question, we are totally staying up. Yes, Jack, come on. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Loads of questions in the post box today, so we'll get into them next. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, and I'm joined by Don Betts. Hello, hello. Adam Fakarson. All right. Or Adam Mio Leminarson, as he's called himself on the uh, on the interface today. And uh, Jack Kelly's called himself Jurgen Klopp JK. Hello, Jack. Uh, good evening. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> I don't know why you've called yourself after Jurgen Klopp. Well, it's, just, because, just... It's, it's, a, it's a play on words. Jurgen Klopp, as in my initials as well, and then JK as in he's a joke. Oh. <laughs> Banter! <laughs> yeah, year seven mentality. Yeah, I, lo- I love it, Jack. It's petty, but it's necessary. Um, I enjoyed the tweet that I did not put up on the Fulhamish account earlier with um, asking Jurgen Klopp how many home games he's lost in a row mm. where he's there going one, two, three, four, five, six. I mean, just wonderfully petty. And if you can't enjoy the small moments, then then what can you enjoy? Okay, let's get into the questions. Um, first one from Je- Drexian Wavejumper. His name caught me out the other week, actually. <laughs> I'll go to you on this one, Dom. Is Anderson this year up there for best interview? individual season in the Premier League for Fulham it's it's a tough one but it's the it's the best it's the best one in in recent memory if you're going to be sort of a player being so pivotal because we saw in the in, in the FA Cup when Adarabaya was playing next to uh, like Michael Hector or Tim Ream for example he simply wasn't the same player Anderson adds such a calmness to this defence I don't think you can say for it he can he's our most best individual player in a season ever. I don't I don't think, you know, in considering what we've achieved in the Premier League previously of, you know, finishing the top half. But he's definitely, I would say, most influential in in regard to that sense. I don't think if you're you're if you're quantifying an individual player's performance, I you can go to a player when you're sitting in the bottom three. But when it comes to how much influence a player has on a team when he's in compared to when he's out, I don't think you can really look past someone like Hakeem Anderson. Yeah, I mean, Colin Bugler has just said more, well, not really a question, but more a statement, just said, can Reed Anderson and Ariola share the player of the season award? And oh my God, I mean, look, I, I pray to God we stay up and I, we shouldn't be mistaken for thinking we're out the woods because we're not, because we're still 18th. But let's say we stay up. The decision that we're going to have to make on player of the season will be so so difficult i mean adam who would you give it to right now if 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 time stood still right now and this was the end of the season is it reed is it anderson is it Ariola? is it is it someone else i mean lookman surely got to be in there with a shout as well and he would normally in a in a normal season but i i just don't think he does if we put out um if we stay up and then you've got a possibility of saying um if we give Ariola. um you know, player of the season, does he sign a permanent contract with us? Maybe that will help swing it. Um, but at the moment, I, I couldn't pick between them because, you know, Harrison Reed has been there pretty much the, the whole season for us, whereas the other two did come in a little bit later. In terms of impact, um, I personally probably give it to Ariola. I think he's probably had 
the biggest impact for us. Um, I know that's going to be controversial, so I'd probably give it to uh, Ariola based upon individual performances, but Reed for probably the season-long impact that he's had. And just completely ignoring Anderson, which, like, yeah, I it, mean, it's just it's just such high praise for everyone, really. It is. I mean, also, you've got to take into account that even if we were to not give player of the season to Anderson, everyone's going to remember the individual contributions that all of this team had if we do actually manage to pull this off. Yeah. I mean, Jack, who would you give it to right now? Uh, Ariola, based on the fact that, you know, without him, we would have conceded more goals and that would have contributed to more defeats. So uh, I always look back at the save he made away at Brighton, just from point blank rage. What a great save that was. The save today from Yotta's volley. He's just been outrageous. He's made, I remember a Wolves away. He just made saves that you're just basically not meant to make. And uh, he's kept us in this season so many games. I mean, you think of the Sheffield United, uh, they'll, they'll think yeah. it's a penalty. Chris Wilder still thinks it's a penalty. Um, but of course, that saved us and uh, got us three points. So that would have been two dropped. I can't look beyond Ariola. But but then, you know, you look at Anderson with his his balls, he pings out wide and gets Lookman in behind against Sheffield United. Even today as well, he got plenty of space to play those balls out. And, and he's been a rock at the back. But then again, you, you can't just compliment Anderson and go, well, I don't think Anderson would have had a great season, as good of a season as he had if he was alongside Hector or Reem. Yeah. I think that Tosin Adarabayo compliments Anderson. And that what's, that's what makes the partnership so strong. So if you want to give Anderson team of the season, you've got to you've got to also look at uh, Tosin. But but for me right now to answer your question, it's uh, it's Alfonso Ariola. The the mad thing about this player of the season is that there are some other players that like really deserve recognition as well. I know I I I sit on Olaina fan mm. club island and I am the leading founder of it. And come join me over here because I'm having a whale of a time. Um, but you know, Lookman. Aina, um, Adrabayo, as, as you mentioned, there's just so many that deserve that. I mean, Lamina Alangisa to a point, like it's, it's just fantastic. Um, Thomas from Berlin sent this question. Um, Thomas often, um, tweets when he's listened to the podcast with how far he's run, which I quite enjoy as, as a, as a bit of a flex, just, and, and a few people have been doing this, just like, just enjoyed that run, smashed out 15 kilometers. I'm like, fair enough. Didn't really need to know, but I enjoy it nonetheless. Um, he says, maybe today is not the time to be critical, but I've been thinking about this for quite a while. I was reminded today. As brilliant as Lookman is on the ball, he clearly lacks the view for a better position teammate. Would be great if you could c- touch on that. Uh, Dom, I thought there was a couple of moments today where, I don't know, I, f- I felt like Lookman maybe made the wrong choice at the crucial moment. There was there was a one I really remember in the first half where he got played through on the left and he decided to cut back and shoot on his right when the opportunity was definitely there on his left foot. And we know that he sometimes doesn't find particularly Anthony Robinson when he's on the pitch. It's really, really harsh considering everything we've been seeing today. But I don't know. He's quite a frustrating player, Lookman, just because... I feel like he gets into so many opportunities. He's at the heart of everything we do going forward, but just that final decision-making isn't always perfect. There was also that chance in the first half where he it was quite an easy cross to find Josh Madger and he hit it over him. He, he is a frustrating player as much as brilliant at the same time. Yeah, I get where he's coming from, but you do realise after if, I, if, you get, if Adam Ehrlichman's not in the team, for example, we really have F all else. Like yeah, no, that, that that and that's the main issue. I think the thing you may you may look at you know Lookman being a frustrating play in regard to his end product, but not many other of the other players in our team are getting into those positions. You know we I, and you know if you're getting the ball into those positions, you know you're more likely that a goal will come of it instead of having a, a, fr- a frustrating player. Let's say you had Loftus Cheek in there instead of Adam and Lookman. I'm not saying they play in the same position, but you know another attacker, for example. And I think I think we saw today that what why when Loftus room Loftus Cheek can be used to a much more a much bigger effect than when he starts in the game sometimes that him coming on when we have the lead to hold up the ball and be that sort of a stronger player through the middle. I think Lutman. I don't I don't think you can be super critical of him because he's he's one of those players who's who's going to create those chances for himself. And how many times in recent years have we been so frustrated with you know our wingers? not even doing that you know I look back to last season with the likes of Cavalera and Knockart 
So I, I, I'm not one who's, who'd be critical of Adam Adelum because I think he's arguably been our best uh, attacking outlet of the season in regards to cre- the creation of chances. I think he just really wants to prove to everyone that he's up to, to quality. And I think that sometimes that stops him from making the right decision. But I don't think we're really in a stage to be criticised Nana Lutman when he's been so, so good for us a season in regard to uh, chance creation. Okay, on to the next question. Um, I just like this one from Justin Rains, who said, another win for Sammy. Yes, um, it was noted. The curse is well and truly over now. Thank you very much, Justin. Um, Oliver Smith says, I'll go to you on this one, Adam. If Scott's superstitions means keeping on that lucky astronaut suit, so be it. Um, Can we just have a moment to talk about what Scott Parker was wearing? It looked like somehow a duvet had been made into a jacket. Um, I I saw there was a comparison to Alan Partridge, which is currently going viral at the moment. I mean, wow. I mean, I liked it. it? I didn't like it at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly noticed it early on in the game as well because I was—I remember tweeting a few weeks back. Does he just have several of those navy turtlenecks that he just switches for each game, or does he just have a really <laughs> efficient like washing routine? It turns out I think his washing machine was broken this week because he was basically wearing. I—I I actually put my whole sofa. Uh, cushions into a washing machine recently and they came out looking pretty much the same as his coat <laughs> did today <laughs> apart from like it had way more padding to it um, so yeah he was wearing that around himself and the interesting thing was as well he didn't look entirely comfortable in it for the entire game but he does now have to wear this for every future away game at a big team that we play he looked a bit like have you ever tried to wear two coats at the same yeah. time just, just, <laughs> and you can't move your arms it's like just like when looked... you when you play dress up and you think how many coats can i actually get on and actually <laughs> i've done that when you go to the odd fulham game and you just think this is going to be freezing i'm going to layer up but he had just kind of done that all with a massive gray layer over the top it's when your mum goes no you need another layer and you're thinking <laughs> i'm wearing a coat a jumper an under fleece and two t-shirts you can't surely give me another layer and she insists and then you, you turn up to the, the football game like and you can bounce off of pillars because you're so padded <laughs> up um yeah it just cracked me up i just couldn't work out what was going on um jack on a slightly more serious point um vincent lander asked did you find liverpool's lineup respectful if they were playing Chelsea or Spurs today, there's no way they're making seven changes. And when did the FA stop handing out fines for playing weakened teams? I was put back by what Jurgen Klopp did. Part of me was thinking, is he just trying to dramatically change it up in order to just see if he can get a different result out of his team? But they're 2-0 up against Leipzig in the Champions League. They're not going to lose that game. Well, they're very unlikely to they lose that They very much should. Although yeah, this surely, is surely no, because home game that won't be at Anfield, so it'll probably be well, all right. Yeah, surely it was more important to beat us today. Did you think there was a lack of respect? I couldn't really care less, to be fair. I mean, they put, <laughs> no. out, they put out seven changes, and that just suits us because they were playing a three out of their four defenders were, I, I would say, inexperienced, especially at Premier League level. So I, I was licking my lips at the at their lineup, thinking we can go at them and. Like I said earlier, I, it doesn't surprise me that we we won the game. Um, look, Jurgen Klopp could do what he's like. He likes he's lost five home games in a row. Maybe he might he, want to change that then. He, yeah, he he he, he, wants to <laughs> he might want to change stop doing what he likes and do, <laughs> do, do what works. <laughs> yeah, he, look, look, they've lost five home games in a row. So maybe he just six brought, now. Well, six six now, <laughs> but but beforehand, so yeah, they we put out a weird lineup today. I think. Um, he put the uh, the Swiss knockout on in Jordan Shakiri, and I thought he wasn't very good at all. I, James, Swiss knockout. James James Milner is a great professional. He can play you know all around the back. He can play left back, right back, centre mid, and, and wherever. And then you know he did okay. Naby Keita, not bad. But you know I don't really want to sit here and talk about Liverpool. I want to talk about the the great Fulham team that was today. But uh, I don't really care that they that they made seven changes. I care more about the fact that. Scott Park has just got just done a job over Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, he has. He has 100%. And look, I, I kind of thought the same thing. Like, okay, disrespectful, not disrespectful, whatever. Like, if you're going to put a weakened team out, we're going to beat you. And we can still be excited that we beat Liverpool away from home. Like, it doesn't mm. take anything. It doesn't take any weight of the gloss out of it. And it doesn't mean we get less points because we beat a weakened Liverpool. We beat 
a team in the Premier League. We've only had five wins all season. We're partially just excited because of that. But I guess with the grandeur of the the team and the stadium that we won at, I guess it just makes it that like, kind of extra sweet. Yeah. Um, Dom, I think Cody's getting his head of himself. And he says, if by some miracle we take three points from Man City next week, what will you do? Um, is there... I mean, they obviously didn't win tonight against United. This run doesn't continue, does it? Who knows? No, no, I don't think it will. Um, I think that, you know, I think it's probably not, it's not good. Although at least we're not City's immediate bounce back game from from this defeat to Manchester no, United. they play on Wednesday against Southampton, they, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they've got Southampton in the week, who obviously got their win against Sheffield United, but you'd imagine City will want to bounce back. So hopefully they get everything out of their system against Saints on, on Wednesday. And so they won't be as, um, as you know, trying to put th- four or five passes, which which won't happen anyway, but um, against us on the weekend. But if you, if you look at the reverse fixture, which I think was beginning of November, I, f- I feel like it was the first week... Uh, First was, week of December. Just December, sorry. It was when pubs had just reopened. I think it was when the substantial meal rule had just come. Dom doesn't work by months. He just <laughs> works by when the pubs are open. Uh-huh. Works by scotch eggs. Yeah, it was It was when the substan- substantial meal rule was open. I, I went to a pub in Fulham to, to watch the game. And although the game was over fairly early on in it, we, apart from, you know, it was a dodgy penalty that that they got through Sterling anyway, which arguably was a dive. So Never a penalty. we should... Yeah, we showed that um, we showed that we were comp- uh, competent in in the fixture then. So I don't see why. I'm not saying we should be going to uh, taking on City at the Craven Cottage and thinking, well, we can we can beat these lot. But it's not. I don't think you can just write the game off completely. I know they had one. Was it 21, 22 games in a row before today? But United shown they they got an early goal through that penalty after about one minute after a silly decision from Jesus. It's not like this invincible Manchester City team who can't be beaten. I'm not saying we are going to go and do that. But I think this win is so important just because we only got one point out of Palace and Tottenham. I think when you're looking at this run of four games, you before we I know Liverpool have been diabolic at home since the turn of the year, but I think that people were looking at the Palace game and the Spurs game as where we'd be picking up the four points, for example, not the Palace game and the Liverpool game. And, you know, after the City game for the international break, we take on Leeds at Crane Cottage, obviously, on the Friday night before the international break. And, you know, we showed in the game at Ellen Road, in the reverse fixture, that we and we that's when we were that's when we were diabolical and we need we nearly got a point out of that game. If we had the defence we had now, we probably would have won that game three one. Um so I'm 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 the I'm so much more confident now like you know, going into a certain before that seven points in a week, you know, it's it's crazy in what, a space of a month, how we've gone from being 10 points behind. I know we had games in hand, but we've gone from 10 points behind to now being level with the team in 17th place. So there's no reason why we can't have we can't be optimistic going into a game like Manchester City. Yes, it's going to be tough, but who knows what can happen. And if, if, if we as long as we, you know, shut City out from getting an early goal, you know, anything can really happen there. Wow. Who knows? I mean, the confidence is sky high at the moment. Um, speaking of uh, confidence, uh, Sam Lockhart just asked, is it too late to start thinking of getting into the top four? Still mathematically <laughs> possible, I believe, my friend. Um, Adam from Aaron asks, how about getting too defensive at the start of the second half? I get it at the 70th minute, but holding back for an entire half won't work most times. I, I, I disagree th- slightly. It seemed, I mean, I, I, I understand his rationale, but... With Scott Parker's teams, it kind of does seem to work. I mean, I think we had something like thirty percent possession in that game, and we we still managed to keep them out. They were bringing on, you know, the likes of Sadio Mane. You know, they still had Salah on the pitch, and they they didn't really look that dangerous. Okay, there were a few last ditch uh, challenges from Anderson, but uh, I didn't feel too worried about it. I, I would, however, agree with the point that it could be a little bit early against some teams to do that one. We didn't. I, I was screaming for an out ball. Um, and you were kind of fortunate thinking that that every time they keep clearing it, there has to be someone up the pitch. Uh, you can't go completely 10 at the back as, as we ended up doing. So when they brought on Mitrovic, that did give us a bit of that release off the back, um, you know, the defence. I think that um, Scott just had to do that because he couldn't see a way for us to 
see that game out unless it was defending. He knows it's our strength. So if he is playing to our strengths, I, I can't criticise him for that. Yeah. I think if you're looking statistically as well, like that Man United game at home is still the only game that Scott Parker's lost yeah. as Fulham manager when he's taken the lead. And that was Ariola, you know, uncharacteristically spilling the ball and then a wonder strike from Paul Pogba. So you know, understand that, you know, history tells you being a Fulham fan, you should never be, you know, hopeful when you've got a one nil lead away from home. But this Fulham side is different and we've seen on a Scott Parker that when he's won the luck, he knows how to see games out or he knows how to not lose games. And I think that's that's one thing. I don't think people forget it, but people think when, we, when we're when we protecting a league, people often are used to the history of Fulham teams where we would concede these late goals. But as, as we've seen under Scott Parker, only one defeat when we've taken the lead and, then, and that was for a one-less strike and a goalkeeping mistake. So yeah, I think even when we do take the lead, you've got to be confident of seeing out the game, especially with the defensive qualities we've got in the likes of Olerina, uh Joaquim Anderson, Tosin Nadarabayo, uh, Kene Tete, Ariola in there, and then even when Bobby Decadova re-drops in as well, Harrison Reed, Lamina and Gisa in front of him. You've got to be confident in Scott Parker and this team that actually, this is actually a Fulham team that can see out results. Yeah. And also at the moment, I think that it is easier to see out results. Right. I think if you'd have had the Anfield crowd there, you know, begging the ball in at the cop end for 45 minutes, they may have broken through. And, and the, clearly this season has shown the impact of crowds. Effectively, the last 12 months has been an intensive scientific study into finding out how crowds affect football. And you can see it in the amount of away wins and a game like today, I, I reckon Liverpool would have somehow found a way if there was an Anfield mm. crowd there because they'd have just sucked the ball into the net somehow. But you know, it's not there at the moment and it, and it totally works. Fingers crossed next season. If we all do get back to normal by then Scott might've found a way for us not to be having to hold on for 45 minutes. But right now we just desperately need the points and he's using the situation. Um, speaking of holding on, um, Jack, Alex Pure Power asks, where did those two minutes of extra stoppage time come uh, from? Don't get me started. Kevin Friend. What was, was happening there? Kevin Friend had a shocker because not only was there one minute of added time uh, in the first half, he added on two and a half almost uh, just after we scored. I know we had the celebrations and stuff, but that didn't really last long. But I was so confused because what was it? There was a goal. It was like a goal kick for Fulham, and I thought, oh, that's surely that then, or something. I thought maybe a goal kick to Liverpool, and then suddenly no, it was they a goal kick to Fulham. Yeah, it, they, yeah, you thought that that was about 40, 94 and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah. So I, was, yeah. I, I was fully expecting it to be blown. Then I was like, that, that's it, game over. But somehow they got a free kick and managed to lump the ball and then get a corner. And I was thinking, what is going on? Uh, where's he got the time from? Uh, Ariola maybe took a little bit too long with his goal kicks, but but Kevin Friend then should have the authority to yellow card him if he thinks he's taking too long. But the whole refer the refereeing today was a little bit weak. But um, yeah, wh where the hell did that time come? But it doesn't really matter. We we got over the line, and uh, it was actually interesting. I saw um, a few people put up their um, their heart rates in that forty five minute and how how many uh, beats per minute they were doing, which was uh, quite interesting. Those who have the, the technology to do so, but. Um, yeah, d delighted really? for the three points. Yeah, yeah, I saw a couple of people. Jeff Proust, but was that uh, an app up. on your phone or something? How do you I've do got, that? I've got my Apple Watch. I'm yeah, just three running up watch. a cardiogram now. Uh, okay, that doesn't look particularly healthy. Uh, in the <laughs> what looks well, I mean, there's a big spike in the middle of my day, uh, and it looks like yeah, towards the final whistle, it was getting towards 138, which is wow. about the same as it would do um, if I was going for a light jog. So, yeah, for, for, I think we've we've also looked as well, if you were to do blood pressure monitors between Fulham fans and people that aren't, there's 100% higher blood pressure and higher heart rates for those that are Fulham fans. But I wouldn't swap it for the world. God, mm. everyone take care out there. It sounds uh, pretty serious. Um, the final question. This is one from Nate. He says, question from the States. What's the word on getting crowds back this season? If it all comes down to May the 23rd, I've got to think having supporters back at the cottage favors Fulham. And well, it's very interesting. You asked that Nate, because I think this week it's likely to be confirmed that the premier league wants to, uh, to push back, um, game week 36 to game week after after game week 37 so that uh, at least two to three of the last Premier League games all have fans if everything gets released on May the 17th which is another stage of the UK's kind of exit from lockdown May the 17th is when they're going to allow 
I think around 10,000 fans back into stadia before that it'll be completely behind closed doors at the moment it would mean that only the last game of the season would have fans but of course the likes of Newcastle are complaining because they're just envisioning a situation I don't think Newcastle should complain because if fans coming back for them is not a good thing (laughs) well Uh, I know but I mean discussing this with my Newcastle mates like he says fans actually being back at game of St James's Park will do nothing to help the team because if they're sitting in 18th place for example they're not going to be cheered back are they no no it would be pretty hostile to be I fair just hope, yeah I just hope we only have one home game back because of that because of getting to get in the Brighton ballot I have priority access in, in the next one after uh, a government lockdown got announced I'm hoping the first game back is the Newcastle game because then I'll have the uh, as I said the priority access which I'm hoping means a guaranteed ticket for that Newcastle game if all things go ahead I mean, I look at the situation now and what I'd quite like, I mean, if you'd have asked me a month ago, I'd have, re- I'd have snapped your hands off uh, that final game being a showdown between Fulham and Newcastle. Right now, we're a point behind them. I'd quite like that game to be done and dusted and we're all just turning up with our sombreros on and uh, celebrating the fact that Fulham well, are staying it, it in the division. It can't be worse than the last time we had Newcastle at home when we lost oh, 4-0 on the wow. last day. Oh, that was awful. Yeah, that was... I don't want to stay to the end. I really don't. I was in the golden line by full time, I think. <laughs> I think we all were, Jack. I was just done with that season. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for your questions. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Dom, Adam and Jack. Uh, so all that remains to be done today, Adam, is to name the podcast. What would you like to go with? Well, I think given how optimistic we are and in such a good mood, I think we're going to have to go with Jozo's We Still Believe. We still believe. I mean, it is kind of, you know, obviously we we, we stood up when we still believed that time uh, 11 years ago against Hamburg. And, and right now, Fulham really feels like it's in those kind of halcyon days again. And, and fingers crossed, the kind of sun keeps shining on, on our performances because right now I, I truly believe that, that Fulham deserve to stay up and the fact that we're going into a game against man city and we didn't actually think that it was a hundred percent certainty that we will heavily lose the game i think just says it all against a team that has just come off of winning 20 in a row a uh, final question here from cm10 just asks uh can we play liverpool every week i think that would be quite nice wouldn't it chaps only at anfield oh well, yes yeah i think i think um after what happened on Thursday night, it's, I'm a firm believer in football karma and the fact that Mario Lamina's goal got disallowed because of his having an arm or having a, a hand or a limb. And he is the one who scores the goal to give us three points. I deserved three points at Anfield. That's a very fitting way of rounding it off. Yeah, exactly. We channeled the frustration of Thursday and brought it into a fantastic win at Anfield. Let's see what happens again next Saturday against Man City. Um, Thank you to my guest today, to Don Betts. Thank you very much. No worries. Adam for Carson. Thank you very much. Cheers, Sammy. And Jack Kelly. Thank you very much. Cheers, Sammy. Thanks. Uh, Myself, Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler will be back on Thursday's podcast looking ahead to that Man City game. Have a brilliant start to your weeks with a stride in your step after three excellent points today. Come on, you whites. You whites. You whites. You whites.